Hello, humans. Hello, humans, 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 humans. How are you all? It's me, Ellie Krug, on Ellie 2.0 Radio and lovely AM 950, talking you from the bunker in Eden Prairie. I am thrilled to be back talking to you on this, what is it, the third Saturday of, of uh, January. But by the way, hey, we're more than halfway through what I call the bad boys, okay? More than halfway through. Bad boys, November, December, January, February, March. And so it's all good. Okay, you know this show is about idealism and idealists. Uh, you're listening to a huge idealist. And we have a great show. Uh, the big interview is going to be an encore of my interview of Jeffrey Simonoff from the Robert F. Kennedy Human Rights Center. I, we did that in March of 2022. You will really enjoy that interview. And it fits in with what the big uh, – with what the A block's about and, and what I'm going to talk about. And then in C block, you know I always talk about my work as an idealist. But first, let's begin – uh, with this A block, and we're going to begin with an anniversary. January 3rd of this year, okay, just a couple of weeks ago, was the 15th anniversary of the 2008 Iowa caucuses that propelled none other than Barack Obama into the 2008 presidential race. You may remember, he came from nowhere, he got, he won the caucuses, and then it was just it was just a straight trajectory from there. Um, I, and by the way, I back in 2008, I participated in those caucuses. So uh, I'm pretty proud that I did that. And my daughter was volunteering for his campaign beginning in the summer of 2007. I was reminded about this anniversary of the caucuses because I was on the Obama Foundation website. Now, you know President Obama. He leaves office. He created this foundation, the Obama Foundation. And, and you know that this show is all about ideal, idealism and idealists, as I've already said. Humans of all ages working for positive change in the world. Well, let me tell you, the Obama Foundation and what it's trying to do is the epitome of idealism. I had no idea until I started researching the foundation to prepare for the show. If you go to the foundation's website and all you have to do is Google Obama Foundation, it will come up. You will see that it is in doing incredible work towards recruiting and preparing younger humans to lead and change the world. Its mission, the mission of the Obama Foundation is, quote, to inspire, empower, and connect people to change their world. Unquote. Now, certainly, there is a section of the website devoted to building the Obama Presidential Library, which, uh, uh, by the way, broke ground in September of 2021. And and you'll you can find some pictures of them building their their they've got the first you know they got the garage poured and they've got concrete for the for the elevators and all that stuff going up. Okay. Now, included in the section of the website about um, the uh, library being built is a video about President Obama speaking in Selma, Alabama to commemorate the 50th anniversary of the Bloody Sunday March. That happened in uh, 2015. Um, And you may recall the Bloody Sunday March, Selma, um, the um, uh, Pettus Bridge where – Marchers were met by state troopers and their dogs, 
and marchers, civil rights marchers, were beaten, including John Lewis, whose skull was fractured. In fact, in fact, um, it's what they've done with this library. I'm, I'm going down a rabbit hole here, and I'll stop in a second. What they've done with this library is they've taken portions of President Obama's speech, the 50th anniversary speech about Summa. They're taking some of the words from that speech and they are adorning the top stories of the library with those words on the outside. So at the top of the library, it is – go and there's a video on the Obama Foundation website. Go watch the video. You will see what they're trying to do. (laughs) But what excites me more uh, is, is what the foundation's website lays out regarding its various programs. Uh, For example, uh, the foundation uh, continues continues to maintain the My Brother's Keeper initiative, which President Obama launched in 2014 during his presidency. The My Brother's Keeper is aimed at mobilizing mentors, reducing youth violence, and improving outcomes for boys and young men of color. It emphasizes the three E's, education, empowerment, and exposure, as in exposing children of color to new experiences, new possibilities for their life, and for them to be able to see what the prize looks like. Okay? So that is part of the Obama Foundation, continues to be part of their initiative. But additionally, the foundation has a residential scholars program in partnership with the University of Chicago and Columbia University, which is all about leadership development. Okay, you go to those schools for six months, you you attend the classes, they, they house you, and then you start learning about leadership through those classes. But if that wasn't enough, the foundation has what it calls its leaders program which is a six-month non-residential initiative that nurtures idealists from across the spectrum in government, civil society, education, nonprofits, you get it, and helps them to hone their leadership skills while also plugging them into what's got to be an incredible network of mentors and people with connections that the Obama Foundation has curated. This six-month program involves weekly virtual calls, monthly community group meetings, and leadership coaching. The Leaders Program is worldwide. It includes humans in Africa, Asia, and Europe doing incredible things. And the website gives you snapshots of dozens and dozens of younger humans and their work who have been able to take part in this Leaders Program. A common thread to the program is to help the next generation of change makers get more humans engaged and involved. My God, I got to tell you. So there's also, excuse me, a Leaders USA program. And in a second, I'll share a clip uh, about that program. But here's something to pay attention to. Now, listen, I, you know, I don't know if you got pen and paper near you, okay? I don't know if you can pull your phone out and start recording, okay? But here's the deal. If you are someone working to change the world, okay, so if if you are and you're between the ages of 24 and 45, or you know of a person working to do that within that age range, you or that person can apply to become an Obama leader. Yeah, right now. They have they have this 
thing on their website. You can go and do an application. They plan to select 100 people, so obviously very selective. But they plan to uh, select 100 people for their USA Leader Program that will run from June 1 to November 17, 2023. Go to the foundation's website, that is the Obama Foundation, and fill out the application or go tell someone that you think is an idealist who's doing incredible work or wants to do incredible work, send them to the website. That is the Obama Foundation website. And now for a really special treat, okay? Because, frankly, I miss him so much. Here is President Obama talking about the Leaders USA program that I just described for you. Hold on, and here's the clip. Since its inception... Our foundation's mission has been to inspire, empower, and connect the next generation of changemakers. We now have a global network of thousands of leaders, not just here in the United States, but in every corner of the globe. We've been helping to train and connect a whole bunch of leaders here in the U.S., both through our Scholars Program or My Brother's Keeper initiatives. What we haven't done as systematically is get people a way in which they can come together and support their various initiatives across sectors. And given how successful the programs we've initiated in other places have been, we thought, let's make sure that we're giving as many opportunities as possible to young leaders here in the U.S. as well who are eager to bring about change. The determination and the passion of these leaders are already making an impact. And the good news is we're just scratching the surface of what this next generation is capable of. In fact, uh, today I'm happy to announce that we will be launching a new and expanded Leaders USA program that can help more young people put their idealism to work. The Obama Foundation Leaders Program is really a leadership journey. They receive and participate in peer and individual coaching. They hear from other experienced leaders in the field, and they focus on values-driven leadership as inspired by the examples of President and Mrs. Obama. One of our goals is to create a community and shared platform for these emerging leaders so they can learn from each other, and share best practices and form strategic partnerships across issues and across borders. One of the things that we've discovered, whether we're talking to leaders in Africa, Europe, the Asia-Pacific region, is that a common thread is how do we get people more engaged and more involved in the decisions and forces that are shaping their lives. So we're really excited about Leaders USA and We're going to continue to grow it, uh, hopefully over uh, many years to come. Like I said, I miss him. Okay. So this Leaders USA program, they're taking 100 people. You can go online. The deadline is February 3 at noon, I believe, to apply. Okay. But the application is online. If you are 24 to 45 or if you know somebody who is, who's an idealist and working to make the world better, tell them about it or go do it, okay? All right, we're going to take a break. When we come back, uh, you're going to get uh, Jeffrey Simonoff from the Robert F. Kennedy Human Rights. Great interview, learning again, another – he would have been president. He would have had a presidential library, trust me. 
Bobby Kennedy hadn't been murdered. But his legacy lives on, and you'll hear about it. When we come back after that, I'll get you on the C Block. Thanks. On Ellie 2.0 Radio, on lovely AM 950. Well, I am ecstatic, that would be the right word, for this week's big interview. Because I have been attempting to get uh, Jeffrey Simonoff on on this show for months. Um, and, uh, and, and to have him talk about uh, the uh, Robert F. Kennedy Human Rights Organization... Uh, Jeffrey Simonoff is um, he is the vice senior vice president for workplace dignity with Robert F. Kennedy Human Rights. He is a graduate of Duke University. And in addition to that, he he is a lawyer. He has a law degree from Emory University. Jeffrey, welcome to LE 2.0 Radio. Thank you for being here. So happy to be here with you, Ellie, after lots of planning. Look forward to the conversation. Oh, a lot of planning, yeah. But we're, we got it, and it's working, and 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 it's just great. And audience members, for those who are new, okay, for the long term audience members, you know this about me. You know that Robert F. Kennedy, Bobby Kennedy, is one of my most dearest, dearest um, heroes. And in fact, my newsletter, The Ripple, is named after his Ripples of Hope speech. So this is an incredibly special interview for me, just as Ellie Krug human. So Jeffrey, let's begin uh, first by talking about uh, uh, Robert F. Kennedy Human Rights. Can you tell us about the organization generally? And, you know, give us an idea of the scope of the work that it does, please, by all means, you know, give us the website and plug the organization as, as you as you seem fit. I'd be happy to. So the, our website, just to get that out of the way, is Robert F. Kennedy, rfkhumanrights.org. And you can follow us on all the, the Twitters, the socials, the Facebooks, the Instas, and all of those things. Um, and thank you, Ellie, also just for those kind words about the man around whose, whose legacy our work is really built. Um, our organization is a nonprofit. Um, it was formed in 1968 shortly after Bobby Kennedy was killed as he won the California primary. And we carry on his legacy and forge ahead with his unfinished work, all in the pursuit of his dream of a more just and a more peaceful world. That's what he was all about, and it's what we are all about today. And we do that by partnering with local activists around the world uh, on the theory that those closest to the problem often have the best solutions. And that's something that we role model from Bobby Kennedy himself. And we advocate for human rights issues and hold leaders to account. And it's especially around protection of civic space, uh, freedom of assembly, freedom of association, freedom of expression, which in this day and age is crucial, economic and racial justice, issues of mass incarceration and immigration, and gender-based violence. And at the same time, we use human rights education to help educators incorporate principles of human rights education in their own classrooms and also help the next generation of human rights defenders, mainly college students, speak truth to power and leverage activism to drive change. And you mentioned my role, uh, which is leading a workplace dignity program, which is new for us. And there we focus on the intersection of human rights in the workplace 
to give leaders and organizations the tools they need to promote equity and truly see the inherent value and worth of all workers, no matter the work they do or where they do it. And I'll just start stop with a, a quote from Ethel Kennedy, who was interviewed by Tom Brokaw in 1988. Um, Ethel, of course, Bobby Kennedy's wife, um, who still is our organization's leader. Um, and she said, Bobby brought us all along with his enthusiasm and his love of life and his curiosity. And he made everybody feel a part of this battle that we're going to do better and America can stand for something. We'll leave <laughs> with that. You're, you're, you're already tugging at my heart, Jeffrey. <laughs> um, and Hard not to with this man, <laughs> you know, and, oh, you know, um, so I want to talk about the Workplace Dignity uh, Program in just a second, okay? But, but one of the, you, you know, you, as, you, as you said, you, you pair with local people, local act- activists who are on the ground with, you know, and, 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 and it, that's a really great philosophy because they're the ones that know how to get things done versus an organization that might be, you know, 3,000 miles away. Um, but you also highlight idealists, and you and 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 that you know you got your uh, Ripple of Hope Award, and I wonder if you could just talk a little bit about. It. I mean, there have been like major recipients, like you know President Obama was a recipient, and I, I you, you've got a number of other you know well well very well known people, but the Ripple of Hope also has been given to some people that aren't really you know name worthy, and and what is the Ripple you know the Ripple of Hope Award about? Sure. So maybe I'll step back for just a moment to sort of ground uh, the Ripple of Hope um, Award and, you know, the legacy that it was built on. So, of course, uh, the phrase Ripple of Hope comes from the Day of Affirmation Address that Bobby Kennedy delivered in South Africa um, in 1966. And it's definitely a speech worth reading. And the relevant line from that, I'm sure many of your listeners are familiar with it, but I'll just quote that small excerpt is each time a person stands up for an ideal or acts to improve a lot of others or strikes out against injustice, he sends forth a tiny ripple of hope and crossing each other from a million different centers of energy and daring those ripples build a current which can sweep down the mightiest walls of oppression and resistance. So the ripple of hope award, which we give annually, generally in December, Um, is meant to recognize exemplary leaders across international business, entertainment, and activist communities who have really used their platforms and positions of influence to drive social change and truly reflect Bobby Kennedy's passion for equality, justice, basic human rights, and his belief that each of us can make a difference. And so that's what the awards are grounded on. And we have a second award, which is called the Human Rights Award, that recognizes true activists on the front lines that, to your point, Ellie, may be lesser um, front of mind um, than some of the folks who have gotten the Ripple of Hope Award. So, So just on the Ripple of Hope Award, like the most recent example that comes to mind about someone who many people know, but you know, is not necessarily front of mind for all, is Amanda Gorman. She's the youngest recipient Mm. of the award. Of course, Amanda is an award-winning poet and activist, and she gave that tremendous uh, recitation of a special poem at the inauguration last January. So I think what we're in why normally the person who receives the Ripple of Hope Award is a very established, prominent person who's really leveraged their influence to drive change. We also recognize that people who may not be as far along in their life, so to speak, can also drive change as well. 
on the human rights front where we're talking about people who are really in the trenches of making change who may not be on the radar of most Americans or people in other countries. Um, our most recent uh, recipient of that award was Gerline Joseph. Now, Gerline is an immigrant rights activist who leads an organization called Haitian Bridge, and she has been a champion of the rights and dignity of Haitian and black immigrants for years, um, which, of course, with all the tragedy that has struck Haiti over time, that sort of role is crucially important. Um, and she's really been at the forefront of standing up for people in those dire circumstances. And we were just so pleased to honor her at an award ceremony at the border, literally. The <laughs> event was literally at the border um, on, on the back of a flatbed pickup truck, to be honest, um, <laughs> as we put together something in other than a conference room in this day and age. Well, that would be... Conference that, room events are hard. <laughs> that would be in Bobby Kennedy style, the back of a, a flatbed pickup truck, right? You, you bet. I mean, he's a man who... You know, really did the work and put himself yeah. in the experiences on the ground rather than opining from on high. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's interesting, and we're going to have to take a break in a second here, but when we talk about ripples of hope, you know, um, just before uh, we've done, I'm doing this, inter- I've do- do- doing this interview with you, I've spoke about Voldemort Zelensky, the president of Ukraine. We can, you know, it's a little bit different circumstance, but, but, we're seeing in real time right now how one person can inspire an entire world against injustice. And he's, uh, he's, he's, he's a tremendous example. I agree with you. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, listen, uh, uh, Jeffrey, we got to take a break. When we come back, I want to talk with about your workplace dignity program. I think it's a fantastic program. Listeners, we're speaking with Jeffrey Simonoff from the um, Robert F. Kennedy Human Rights uh, Organization. When we come back from our break, we'll continue um, my interview. Thanks. We're back, LE 2.0 Radio on AM 950. Uh, we're in the midst of the big interview. I've been speaking with Jeffrey Simonoff, Senior Vice President workplace for Workplace Dignity with Robert F. Kennedy Human Rights. Jeffrey, before we took our break, um, we I, you had mentioned briefly about the, the Workplace Dignity Program that the organization really le- like launched last fall. Am I right about that? That's correct. Okay. That's correct. It's, and, it's our newest program. And you and you are in charge of it. You're an employment lawyer generally. Um, will you talk to us about it? Because there's a and, – and listeners, there is a wonderful, wonderful um, video on the website. Alfre Woodward, Woodward, Woodward um, is the narrator for it that talks about uh, the program. But go ahead, Jeffrey. Tell us about it, please. And thanks for recognizing the, the video. We're, we're really proud of that and so grateful that Alfrey contributed her voice to that. She's part of our leadership council and, and just a great oh, yeah. humanitarian in her, her own right um, and a great actress, of course. Um, the Workplace Dignity Program is really meant to give life to the question, what does it mean to say that human rights don't end at the workplace door? Um, we spend a third of our lives or more at work. I think the only thing that rivals work for most people is sleep and sometimes work outpaces sleep for many. (laughs) Um, 
And so, you know, the, our constitution as a human rights organization is the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. And, you know, that constitution basically commits to people just and favorable conditions of work and remuneration that allows them and their families to live a life of dignity. Our work is designed to sort of give meaning, give actionable life to those principles so that organizations can really center the dignity, the inherent value and worth of the people who are entrusted to their care, whose work is allowing them as organizations to be successful. And so we do that on our website in two principal ways. One is to give managers and leaders the tools on a day-to-day basis to really prioritize and center the dignity of the people on their teams. And then secondly, by looking at the structures that affect the entire employment experience for workers, which could be compensation, it could be benefits, it could be how a recruiting process works, it could be how performance management is delivered, it could be even how organizations talk to their people, what they choose to talk Mm -hmm. about and what they don't choose to talk about. All of those things taken together really affect the dignity of people in their work environments. And that's what we're focused on, particularly for those who um, are particularly vulnerable in the workplace because they may be part of a marginalized group or underrepresented or because they work in an industry that is potentially prone to particular uh, dignity violations. Well, and, and this this uh, is really kind of up my alley because I do diversity, you know, diversity, equity, and inclusion work with workplaces, and and you know, it sounds to me like this is focusing on the inclusivity, the 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 valuing of humans aspect to it. Um, Jeffrey, uh, is it so? An employer, you know, if listening to the show, and we have some of them, if they wanted to learn more about how they could increase dignity of their workers, of their, of their team members. I don't like the word workers. They could increase the dignity, in, in, enhance the dignity of the organiza- organization for all. They could actually go to the website for um, RFK uh, Human Rights and, and find a tool set? They can. They can go to rfkhumanrights.org click on Workplace Dignity. And what we decided to do is to put out for sort of you know, deep consumption. This is not a, a website that's just a program summary. This is actually oh, yeah. a how-to. It's, it's a, a how-to. Great and, website. Yep. Go ahead. Go and, ahead. Yep. And, and so, and so they can pick up um, an extensive range of tips and practices that they can employ immediately in their day-to-day leadership, or consider for the structures that they may be re- responsible for as organizational leaders. For example, if you're in charge of recruiting at an organization, there's a section for you. If you're in charge of compensation and benefits, we got you covered. If you're focused on internal communications, come talk to me. All of those things are available on the website, which will continue to iterate. And of course, we're having separate conversations with leaders and consulting with them on how they could, you know, make it more specific to their own work so they can reach out to us through the website. Um, I'm JMS San Fran on, on Twitter. Um, Hit me up there. Um, I am based in San Francisco. That's why uh, you have the San Fran in my Twitter handle. Okay. Well, I'm writing that down. I'm going to get. I'm going to become a follower. So there you go. Um, and 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 Jeffrey, uh, you know, you have a. There's a tagline for this program, or at least I view it as a tagline. And the tagline is that dignity bridges our differences. And um, I, but that is so incredibly true, isn't it? You know, uh, we we have diverse humans of of all types, 
and, and we want that. I mean, this is what makes America this wonderful place. But the dignity is the thing that allows for all that to work. Yes. Oh, I, I so I so agree with you, and I think that's well said. I mean, you know, diversity is all the things that make people different. Inclusion is what makes differences matter. So that's one pre- principle that I think is so important that you mm-hmm. alluded to earlier. And the dignity point that, you know, I view inclusion as an element of how you honor a person's dignity, you make them feel included. You know, Donna Hicks, who's a, a, a leader in, in this space as well, you know, she she says that, you know, we all have differences, but our common denominator is our dignity. Um, and it's dignity that can bridge those differences to your point. And so the idea that we can focus on something that we all have in common, we're all born with value. We're all born mm-hmm. with yes. work. The, the trick is to remember that, to take a pause and think about that and find ways to bridge so we can move forward in some ways together. Well, and, and uh, Jeffrey, I don't think we use the word dignity nearly enough. You know, and I agree with you. And I think sometimes people throw it around without really thinking about what it means. You may see it, you know, in a, in a mission statement, we treat people with dignity and respect and then people just move on. Um, it's worth taking a beat and thinking what it could mean for you or the people you interact with, what any of us, who any of us interact with. I love it. I love it. Yeah. Uh, Well, thank you. And thank you for heading the program. Thank you for the organization um, doing this. And uh, I I can tell you I'll be referencing it in my newsletter. (laughs) So there's a little bit of a closed circle there comes comes back around. So so Jeffrey, um, as I had told you, um, uh, you know, as we prepared for the show, I ask all of my uh, guests that I interview if they're an idealist. And what may have made them an idealist? Now, you are working for what's got to be one of the most idealistic organizations in, on the planet. And, and I'm, by the way, I'm incredibly jealous. Just, just let's get that out there, okay? All right. But are you an idealist? And what, if you would, if you'd be willing to, what made you an idealist? Yeah, it's, it's such a important question and a thought-provoking one. I, I I would say that I am. Um, I'm an idealist with mindfulness of the need to get things done, which is, I think, one of the points that Bobby Kennedy mm-hmm. made in that affirmation speech address, that, you know, having ideas is crucial. Getting things done is also crucial. And you know, too many people think that those things are inconsistent um, because there's an urgency to see results immediately. And I think what I've realized is that it's important to have North Stars that are bold and ambitious. Um, but having bold and ambitious goals and ideals doesn't mean that everything we seek to achieve is going to happen quickly or even in our own lifetimes. Right. Um, and that's and that's okay. Um you know, Bobby Kennedy said that great ideals have constantly recalled us to our own duties. And, and to me, you know, I take I take that very seriously because I think, you know, again, it's this idea of having more stars that we can sort of bring ourselves back to to make sure that in the things that we're doing in our lives, we're marching towards the ideals that we say that we have. And so I think it's important to keep ideals front of mind um, and to execute on them. And 
you know, the ideals of humanity and love, Bobby Kennedy also talked about. And that's a big part of, I think, my own life. And I, I get it, you know, the inspirations and the influences, we all have them. For me, I would say it's it's my mom, um, always to this day, um, trying to see the good in others and you know, reminding me that we never know someone else's full story. We never know uh, the shoes that they've walked in in their lives or what happened to them earlier in the day that we interacted with them when something seemed to go awry in our interaction. Um, and I think that's part of why we focus in my own work, the workplace dignity work on honoring the dignity of workers and workplaces other than our own. If we think about it through COVID and other things, we, we've interacted with so many people who have had to take on so much risk and challenge as they provided services to us. And how many of us have taken enough time to see them, to appreciate them, to thank them, whoever they are, um, the postal worker, the person who's picking up our trash, the person who poured us a coffee or did our checkout of our groceries. There are moments that um, require us to see the people around us and um, to recognize them and to appreciate them. And so I think about that a lot and the idea of kindness and being generous in spirit towards others. Um, I also was influenced by my experience on 9-11 when I was a, a person who worked in the World Trade Center, who was in the World Trade Center in the South Tower on the 65th floor that day. And I had my own experience there going down the stairwell and evading, you know, sort of a pretty horrible alternative that I worked my way through. But in the aftermath of all of that experience, you know, you could focus on all of the horrible things of that day, all of the reasons why what happened happened, or you can make a decision to balance that out with other things. And that's what I did. That in the aftermath of that day, I balanced out the feelings of frustration and anger and fright, fright with the acts of kindness and generosity that I experienced in the aftermath of that day which really pulled me forward and pulled me through and really anchors me in terms of how I think about so much today. Well, Jeffrey, I'm, I'm so sorry that you had that experience on 9-11, but I'm thankful that you survived. And, you know, I think that um, we have these watershed moments, these moments, for me, I call them moments of truth, where we can pivot one way or another in response to the moment. Um, you know, for me, uh, you know, uh, I pivoted towards my idealism and I pivoted towards living an authentic life. Um, and, and, uh, and I'm just, you know, with your credentials and your background, you could be, you know, in an Ivy League law firm earning seven figures, maybe eight figures a year. And yet you've chosen to do this, to work um, for Bobby Kennedy's place. And I just want to tell you, I am just so thankful that you are there and your colleagues are there and the work that you do. Well, thank you for saying that. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's wonderful to be a ripple among ripples and, <laughs> Uh, the colleagues that I have are, are really doing incredible work um, while also trying to amplify the voices of others um, yep. just to sort of bring forward a community of change makers um, that 
share the same ideals and the hope for a more just and peaceful world. <laughs> well, Jeffrey, I think you and I could probably talk for <laughs> a good long time, but um, our time is up. I am just so grateful that you've been on my show and thank you for continuing to hang in there as we tried to make this work. I'm, I really appreciate it. And, uh, and uh, you know what? I'd like to have you come back someday and talk about, you know, how the Workplace Dignity Program is going and the successes that you'll rack up with it. Be a pleasure, and thanks for having me. Okay. All right. Well, thank you, Jeffrey. All right, listeners, we've been speaking with Jeffrey Simonoff, the Senior Vice President for Workplace Dignity with Robert F. Kennedy Human Rights. Um, When I come back, I'll cover my C block where I talk about my work as an idealist. You're listening to me, Ellie Krug, on AM 950. Thanks. And I'm back. Ellie 2.0 Radio on AM 950. All right, C-Block here now. Um, So you do know, if you've been listening to this show at all, uh, you know that I did get elected to my local school board, Eastern Carver County School Board. And I, I, you know, and it has been, I got sworn in a week ago Monday. And uh, so almost two weeks ago. We got my next board meeting coming up on, you know, two days from now on Monday. And, and, you know, and last week was all, uh, uh, I had to go to a convention or a conference for, you know, emerging leaders for school boards. That was Minneapolis. That was three days. This week has been me meeting with some parents and meeting with different schools. But this week in particular had me going to an elementary school in my district, the Jonathan Elementary School in Chaska. And they have grades K till five, through five. And I've just I want I'm I'm telling you about this for two reasons. Okay, first, all of this stuff that's new. I'm learning about systems. I'm meeting different. I mean, I'm meeting a lot of people. I'm learning how things work in the school board world. I'm learning about tax levies, the snooze fest. But you know, important stuff to understand. And you know what? I'm a little selfish about why I'm learning all that. Because I believe firmly <clears throat> that's expanding my brain and keeping my brain active, okay? And from a selfish pers- perspective, I do personally believe that continuous learning of new concepts, new things, all that kind of stuff, I think it staves off, you know, the aging process of the brain. I do. So, but I'm also doing it from my heart. <laughs> And I got to tell you, I was at, as I said, at Jonathan Elementary uh, talking to Principal Pete who – my God, what a, what, a, what a great human. Just we are so lucky to have so many people like Principal Pete in our school district. But as I was talking, he was giving me a tour of the school. And as I was talking to him, it was lunchtime. So the kids were coming – you know, from their classrooms, heading to the lunchroom, single file. And Principal Pete, he's talking to me, but at the same time, he's given fist bumps or high fives or hugs. The students in the lunch line, as they were going by him, they could decide what they were going to give him. 
And these are all young first graders, kindergartners, second graders. And I've just got to tell you, it melted my heart. It did. I think every human should go to an elementary school and just see the kids. Because you cannot but help feeling so incredibly hopeful for our country. You can't but help. I mean, they're so innocent. They have not become jaundiced. They don't know the difference between red or blue government-wise. They might not even know the difference between red and blue depending on the school or depending on the grade. But you know what they are? They have innocent hearts. And it is so clear. And it warms it cannot but warm your heart. And so as I'm talking to Principal Pete and he's doing the high fives or or whatever, you know, or getting the hugs, I'm just thinking, how did I get here? What an incredible journey. How, yeah, it's a lot of time and effort, but how incredibly lucky that at age 66, I get to experience this. And that, my friends, is an idealist speaking to you because these children make me feel that anything is possible, that any positive change is incredibly possible. And isn't it, you know, when we talk about our country, right, when we talk about our democracy, isn't it in the end really all about the kids? I mean, really. Remember the American dream? We want our children to do better than what we've done. Um, but it's really about wanting to make sure that our children be, are able to prosper. They're able to lead us forward as, as we age, that they're able to make good decisions on our part and their parts. Isn't that what it's all about? And in the end, it comes down to the public schools. You know, private schools, sure, they've got all that stuff. But you know what? Private schools don't have to take the children that have behavioral issues. Private schools don't have to take children with physical disabilities. They don't have to do that. There's no requirement that they do that. But the public schools do. The public schools are a melting pot for everyone. And that is incredibly important because all of those children, all of those children are getting that kind of exposure. So, you know, I will continue to come back and talk about how I am inspired by the children of my school district, by the children in general. And I spoke to a bunch of high school students this week. I didn't even get into that, um, which was wonderful. But listen, I'm out of time. Uh, my big thanks to my producer, Brett Johnson. Will you, as you go forward, think about our kids. Think about the kids, the young kids who are so innocent. And all they want to do is go through life and be happy. Please, mom and dad, please their teachers. And just, you know, be able to have time to play with each other. Go out and do something good for the world. I'll talk to you next week. Thanks. Ellie Krug out. <laughs>